What is the hunger for connection? I tell you what, I could probably fill at least one book, if not more, talking about the subject of the hunger for connection. And chances are, I probably will. But at least in the meantime, I thought it would be good to start out with a, a basic definition of what I mean when I say the hunger for connection, so that you and I can continue on this journey and have this conversation understanding kind of the base premise of this idea that I have come up with and that I'm continuing to develop. My name is Chef Kibbe, professional chef, public speaker, foster and adoptive dad, and I'm so glad that you're here. Well, let's get started. You found The Hunger for Connection, a show that seeks to combine the latest in neuroscience research with our shared experience of food and cooking to create a practical, approachable way for a foster adoptive parent like yourself to connect with the disconnected child in your life. You'll begin to see the challenges you face in your parenting not as a problem to be fixed, but as a hunger to be fed. I'm Chef Kibbe, public speaker and biological foster and adoptive dad, and I'm here to help you feed the hunger for connection. What is the hunger for connection? If I were to try to boil it down, condense it, here I am using food terms already. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help it. I'm a chef. Everything is about food with me. If I were to condense this idea of the hunger for connection into a few choice words, I think the smallest and most basic definition I could give you is a pursuit of peace. The pursuit of peace. And when I say peace, what do I mean by that? Peace is, by definition, a form of connection. It is, it is relational. When there is peace, there is stability in a relationship. There is a connection between two parties. I remember I was reading from the book of Romans in chapter 5 because, why was that? Ah, yes, I remember I was reading Dr. Kurt Thompson's new book, which I will leave a link in the show notes because if you're anything like me and you want to know how to combine the newest in neuroscience with what God's word has for us as foster adoptive parents, you've got to check out his new book. Uh, trust me, I have all four of his books now. This was not a paid commercial. I didn't intend for it to go there. Anyway, I was reading in Romans chapter 5, and Paul talks about this peace that we have with Christ, or the peace we have with God through Christ. And the word in the Greek is, if I remember correctly, it's the word Irene, and it means to be joined. That peace is a sense of joining two things together. So it is connection. And it is relational. In order to have connection, you have to have two parties that are in relationship. Now, what relationships are we talking about when we're talking about this pursuit of peace that you and I have? I have identified four realms of relationship that are common to all of us as human beings. We have our relationship with ourselves. So this internal relationship between our brain and our bodies. Our brains are continually receiving sensory information from our bodies in an attempt for us to relate to it, to know how to, to take care of ourselves. And so in the, in the speech of interpersonal neurobiology, 
the term that's often used to describe our relationship with ourselves is being soothed. When we have peace within our own body, we are soothed. Moving from the inside out, we have our relationship with our immediate environment. That is, taking the sensory information from outside of ourselves and seeing and sensing that which is around us to be able to identify whether or not we are safe. That's the second S. So identifying that we are safe in relationship to our immediate environment. The third realm of relationship is our relationship with other people. We sense the other people in our lives, and the, the status or the quality of that relationship with that other person. And this doesn't just go for parent-child relationships. This goes with relationships with all the other people in our lives, that we are sensing how other people are seeing us. And in so doing, we feel seen. We need to be seen. That is how we have peace in our relationships with other people. Now, the fourth realm is a little bit more nebulous, I would say. It is, I would describe it as a relationship with our future self, with a sense that our lives are going to continue on into the future. And in so doing, we want to be sure that we continue to be seen, soothed, and safe for the foreseeable future. And in the terms of interpersonal neurobiology, we call that being secure, having security. As far as a relationship goes, I, I call that be having a relationship with a sense of hope. So relationship with ourselves is being soothed. Relationship with our immediate environment is being safe. Our relationship with other people is being seen. And then our relationship with our, our future sense of hope is being secure. Those are the four S's of interpersonal neurobiology that people like Dr. Kurt Thompson, Dr. Dan Siegel, Tina Payne Bryson, and others use to talk about this peace that is necessary for us as human beings. What is this actual connection that is taking place? We are pursuing peace, we are creating this, this unity, this joining, but how does that unity actually take place? What does it mean to be connected in these four realms of relationship? Well, connection can often come across as being something kind of woo-woo and spiritual and mystical, and while there is a spiritual element to it, there's also a neurobiological element as well, and that element is well, our brains, it's our neurons, it's our synapses, it's the neural networks that our brains allow us to create that identify those areas that are providing us with the peace that our body so desires, that our mind needs, and it creates these neural networks. It has been said that neurons that fire together wire together. So there are, there's actual connections that are being made in amongst these millions and billions of trillions of different possibilities of neuron and synaptic connections that I'm a chef. I am not a neuroscientist by any means. And so this is about the extent of my expertise and ability to explain these things to you. All that to say that these connections are actual physical, physiological connections that are happening within our brains that allow us 
to have a felt sense and a a memory and a belief system, a faith in these four realms of relationship. Now, you may be asking yourself, why peace? What is it about this peace that benefits us? Not just relationally, but personally. Why is it that we want peace in these four realms? What does it do for us? Well, again, I am not an expert in interpersonal neurogastronomy, although I do consider myself a pioneer in the field. Peace allows us a couple of things that I can identify. First of all, it allows us to conserve resources. Being in conflict, whether it be with conflict within our own bodies, conflict with our environment, conflict with other people, or conflicted about our belief system about the future, all of those conflicts require more effort, whether it be physical effort or mental effort, in order to, to deal with it, in order to create resolution. If we're pursuing peace, that means when we're lacking peace, we need to find resolution. And finding resolution to these real or perceived conflicts that we are facing requires us to expend more resources than would be used if we were in a sense of calm and relax. And so first and foremost, being at peace allows us to conserve resources. Now, the other benefit to that is that it allows the brain to use those resources for the highest and most beneficial functions that are possible for us. And for us as human beings, our brains are so incredible. They're so remarkable. And when the brain isn't focusing on being seen, soothed, safe, and secure, or at least not having to manage those actively, it frees the brain to be able to send those resources from the lower parts of the brain, which we'll get into, if not later, in another episode, up to the higher parts of our brain, the parts of our brain that make us unique as human beings, the part of the cerebral cortex, and most specifically this area right here in the middle of our forehead, which neuroscientists call the mid-prefrontal cortex. That is the part of our brain that is, um, that again, makes us uniquely different amongst all all animal species in the created world and the known universe, in our ability to, to think, to dream, to uh, attune to ourselves and to others, to appreciate beauty, to hope, to dream, to aspire, all of those things that I would say bring us the most joy or the most potential for joy and pleasure and fulfillment as human beings, all of those happen in those higher parts of the brain that we have trouble accessing when we are not at peace. And so the pursuit of peace allows us to, again, conserve resources, which then allows us to use the resources we have in order to provide us the most potential benefit in experiencing life the way I believe God intended for us to experience it. So how do we pursue peace? What does that actually look like? Or rather, where does that originate? The part of our brain that is responsible for managing this pursuit of peace 
is called our autonomic nervous system, or ANS. You and I have a nervous system, and that system is constantly monitoring the four realms of relationship, inside of us, outside of us, our sense of future self, and the people around us. It's constantly monitoring these four relationships to make sure that everything is a-okay. And that is a full-time job. It is happening every moment of every day. And what it is doing in cooperation with our sensory systems and with our memory, our short-term memory, our long-term memory, it is working collaboratively with all these different parts of our brain and body to create these neural connections that allow the brain to have a sense of a prediction and understanding and recognition of those sensory inputs that are coming from inside of us and outside of us that identify potential threats, things that may cause us to not be at peace in one of the one or more of these four realms of relationship, so that we understand what to do about it. So that we can be not only properly reactive to real or potential or imagined threats to our peace, but we can actually do something proactively to prevent us from losing that sense of peace. Now, at this point, you may be asking yourself a very important question. What does anything of this have to do with hunger? Why am I calling this a hunger for connection? Is it simply because I'm a chef and a culinary instructor and someone who's been in and around the industry for almost 30 years? Well, that's part of it, sure. I mean, and it just sounds good. There's a cleverness to it. But I want to tell you that this is not just a clever turn of a phrase. This is not a metaphor for something. I believe, and everything that I have learned thus far in my research in this pioneering field of interpersonal neurogastronomy tells me that our pursuit of peace, this thing that is happening within your brain and my brain constantly every moment of our waking day, and as we will talk about here and on into the future, is also common for the children that God has placed into our home. This pursuit of peace that is taking place in our bodies is an actual sense of hunger. Why do I say that? Well, let's break down hunger for a second. What does it mean to have hunger? What is this sense of hunger that you and I take for granted as something that we all know and understand? Hunger, as I see it, has four dimensions to it, and all of them start with D, because it's easier to remember that way. It's a nice mnemonic. We have the four S's of interpersonal neurobiology, and we have the four D's of hunger. So hunger starts with a deficiency. There is something missing in our body. When, when it comes to food and hunger, we're talking about a lack of resources. That deficiency causes the second D, discomfort. Your body creates a sense of discomfort that is a way for the subconscious body to communicate to the conscious brain. So that is a message that is being sent from the body to the brain to let it know that there is this deficiency. Then it becomes the brain's job to take this information and decode it or decipher it. 
It has to understand what it is that this message is telling it to do, or, or at least to, to understand what the message is saying so that we can begin to then make a fourth D decision to do something about it. So again, hunger is a communication method between the body and the brain that there is a deficiency that creates this discomfort, which is the message being sent to the brain, that it then needs to decode and then decide what to do about it. Now, I argue that our autonomic nervous system, this, this part of our brain and body that is trying to maintain a sense of peace within the four realms of relationship, is a type of hunger. Follow along with me. First of all, you have a deficiency. Deficiency in a sense of peace. There is a lack of connection, a deficiency of connection, whether it be in the realm of our own body, in the realm of our environment, or other people, or our future hope. That deficiency causes within us a sense of discomfort. You or I may call that discomfort not hunger pains, but anxiety, stress, worry, dread. All of those things are discomforts that your body is actually physiologically creating and feeling. Those feelings are real, just as real as any hunger that I have had for pizza or or potato chips or whatever the case may be. I'm recording this an hour and a half before supper time, and just the talk about it is making me hungry. <laughs> I don't know about you. So the deficiency of connection creates a discomfort, which we often call anxiety or stress or worry, whatever the case may be. And that discomfort is being sent to our brain through our sensory systems into our autonomic nervous system so that it can be decoded so that we can then decide what to do. And so just like hunger is a communication method of the subconscious body to the conscious brain to get it to do something in order to restore a sense of satiety or peace, similarly, we have a hunger for connection that is this discomfort that is caused by a deficiency of connection that is trying to get the brain to recognize this deficiency and to do something about it. Why does it matter what words we use for it? Why does it matter that we talk about a hunger for connection as opposed to just pursuing peace or trying to remove anxiety or stress from our lives? By referring to this pursuit of peace as a hunger for connection, it allows us and it will allow you to access a part of your brain and a part of your emotional side of your brain that facilitates a more easy pursuit of peace. What I'm trying to get at is that hunger creates empathy. Hunger is an experience that you and I have experienced our entire lives. We almost take for granted that we understand what hunger is and what hunger means and how we take care of hunger because we all know what it's like to be hungry and we know how debilitating that can be. We know how it impacts our ability to be in connection with other people when we are hungry physically. Referring to our emotional hunger in this way 
can open us up to more empathy and compassion. And I want to say that this is most clearly the case when it comes to our children, and most specifically children who have come from hard places. Children who have entered our lives through foster care, through adoption, through other types of placement, these are children who have a very strong hunger for connection. When a child is disconnected from their family, from the place where they have lived, from all of those things that were in their life with which they identified with, if not safety, at least predictability and, and, and understanding who they are in the world and where they are in the world. When you take all that away from them, the, the, the sense of disconnect is very, very strong and it's very powerful. And I can say this as a foster adoptive dad, that when these children come into their home, they bring that disconnect with them, and that disconnect acts as a as a roadblock, as a wall of separation that inhibits them from then creating connection with you as their primary caregiver. And that can be very troubling. When children are feeling disconnected, it results in attitudes and behaviors that we would often define as being disconnected from reality, um, angry, defiant, dysregulated, disrespectful, uh, disobedient, all, all of these words that, again, have a really strong negative connotation to it. And when we have that perspective as caregivers, it can actually close us off from being compassionate toward them and receptive to creating connection. And so the reason why I want you to understand and why this episode and every episode of this program moving forward is going to focus on this hunger for connection is that science has proven and God's word continues to prove to me that hunger is an important part of the way that we relate to ourselves and other people. And when we can take this language, this embodied language of hunger, and identify it and apply it to our relational hunger for connection, it can allow us to be more open and empathetic and compassionate, especially toward those people in our lives, those children in our lives, that can often challenge our own hunger for connection. What are those questions that this is bringing to mind in your mind about how, how this works out in our relationships, how we apply this in our relationships? What are the areas in which we can see this and identify it especially when it comes to relating to and providing compassionate, trauma-informed care to the children that God has placed into our home. I would love to know what questions you have as a result of listening to this episode. Please put them in the show notes or feel free to email me, kibby at chefkibby.com. Thank you again so much for listening. Until next time, I'll see you in the kitchen.